Well, hello, and welcome into the Cultural Coven. I'm your host, Nicola Roy. I hope you're having a good week. Thank you for tuning in. I am delighted I can finally reveal that this week's guest is none other than Scottish actor, producer, author, whiskey entrepreneur, man who embraces kilts and star of Outlander. It is, of course, the brilliant Mr. Sam Hewen. Oh, it took a lot of breath to get to the end of that sentence. As you'll hear, I met Sam at the Lyceum Youth Theatre, which is attached to the beautiful Lyceum Theatre in Edinburgh, somewhere we've both been lucky enough to go back to and tread the boards. And here in the coven, we'll chat all things Scottish, some theatre stories, Outlander, Sam's brilliant fans, and there's even a wee bit of cheekiness. Oh, and top tip, for anyone who doesn't know what the word beamer means, it's a Scottish word for a blushing face, most commonly used amongst teenagers. However, it seems that a year of theatres being closed means that my vocabulary is reverting back. So that's good. Hmm. Anyway, go get yourself a cup of tea, maybe even a whiskey, sit back and enjoy. Nicola Roy's The Cultural Coven is brought to you with an association support from the Lyceum Theatre and the Stephen Dunn Theatre Fund and is produced by InMotion Theatre Company. So hi Sam, welcome into The Cultural Coven. It is so lovely to see you again, albeit remotely. Um, can you tell me, where are you now? You're in Scotland, aren't you? Yes, I'm in Scotland. I'm, I'm sitting in my living room on a... It's actually what a beautiful, beautiful spring day, isn't it? Things have changed here in Scotland. It feels like there's hope. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, happy Easter Monday. Um, tell me, yes, did you get um, did you get truckloads of Easter eggs delivered by your fans today? I, I did. I received lots of eggs in strange places. In fact, um, yeah, no, I, I did. You know, our fans are amazing. They're so, so supportive and they... They always um, send us presents to myself and my co-star and yeah, a whole variety of things as well. And whenever we mention we like things as well, they'll send it. So I've had some really weird and random things sent to me. I've had a a crate of avocados sent to me. Um, I've had all all kinds of peanut butter. I've had blankets that have got my face on it that have been knitted by people. That's Um, wild. I had what, what we call a modesty pouch, a cock sock basically which is something I have to wear during our intimate scenes on Outlander. And I had someone handmade me one. They, they crocheted it. So I thought that, that was very, very dedication nice. to the cause, some would say. Right. That is lovely. Yeah. Um, I re- received a, just a couple of Easter eggs, nothing particularly as exciting as that, but I did demolish them before <laughs> Easter because I have no um, discipline. But I, I believe mm-hmm. you probably have more discipline than me because you seem like you take fitness seriously. Um, you must be a machine to fit this all in around your uh, filming schedules and other commitments. What does Sam Hewen's fitness regime look like? Ooh. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it's something I guess I've always been interested in, and um, but primarily, you know, for the job. And I think that's how I kind of got into it. Uh, initially, I was part of a, a running team for um, blood cancer research. It was a sort of celebrity running team, so you got to meet, you know, lots of other actors and celebrities, and did quite a few marathons and a triathlon with them. And then um, it sort of inspired me really to sort of start my own. Um, charity fitness fundraiser called My Peak Challenge. Um, and it was, yeah, it's just something that I created when I came back to Scotland to shoot Outlander. And I just love getting outdoors and climbing up mountains, etc. You know, I'm going to see the Munros. And I wanted to share that love of the outdoors with with people and, and also help sort of help themselves, but help other people at the same time. And that's the idea about the, 
the, the fundraiser, charity fundraisers, that you join this program and you get a daily workout, daily video and meal plan, et cetera, et cetera. But also uh, the money you, 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 you've you paid for the subscription, 50% goes to charity. And we've raised uh, almost $6 million now for charity. So um, That's incredible. Going well. But uh, yeah, I'm probably not as probably not as strict as you might think, but um, but I really do enjoy it. I do enjoy working out for sure. Um, well, I have it on good authority from Keith Fleming, aka Leslie, that when you walk mm-hmm. on set, there is an audible intake of breath as the other guys suck in their stomachs, and that made me laugh. <laughs> That's some entrance, Sam. You must feel like a god walking onto that set. But um, seriously, I could do with a bit of um, inspiration um, to get a healthier lifestyle. So I may uh, join the My Peak Challenge. You heard it here, folks. Oh, you're very yeah. welcome to join. Now yeah. that I've said yeah. it, I feel like I want to claim I'm a Monroe, so I, I might do it, Sam. So to give everyone some context, I met you at the Lyceum Youth Theatre in Edinburgh in probably the mm-hmm. late 1990s, which at the time was run by Colin Brady and Steve Small. That's right. This podcast is also in association with the beautiful Lyceum. I look back on my time in LYT so fondly, and undoubtedly it was the biggest factor and me going on to become an actor. And having now performed there in many plays and made lots of friends there, um, I'm fully aware this makes me sound um, rather lacking in my day-to-day, but that theatre has become one of the most treasured things in my life. How important was LYT and the Lyceum Theatre in your own path to becoming an actor? I mean, I mean, absolutely. I think, first of all, like like yourself, I think it it was the beginning of, of the, I guess, the journey, really. I mm. I knew I wanted to... I knew I was interested in theatre and I, I just didn't know quite how I would do it or why or if I could have a career. And I remember I applied to go to LYT and sort of walked in kind of rather naively uh, and sat down with, with the wonderful Colin and Steve and um, just sort of told them my, my plans and what I wanted to do. And they were just so supportive. And it was a great community, a great way to meet other people, young people that are interested in theatre and just gave us a real, I guess, a taste of of what it's like and and all set in that beautiful building which yeah. again is is to, for me it's the heart of of edinburgh for me it's um I, I worked there as an usher and then um was lucky to be on stage there a bit and it just it's just there's something so magical about that auditorium and that space and having people I come agree. there um and i think we'll miss it don't we you know we miss people being in a, a live space and, and sort of a shared experience but yeah, it's a, it holds a very, very, very fond, fond place in my heart. Well, that's so lovely to hear. And as you were saying, you know, all the theatres ha- are closed at the moment and they're obviously going through financial trouble. And the Lyceum is no exception to that. And then I saw that your wonderful fans on the lead up to Christmas did a fundraiser called Save a Seat for Sam, a virtual event which raised an incredible £57,000 for the Lyceum. And now you have a seat dedicated uh, to you. Do moments like that just blow your mind, Sam? Did you ever think when you were an usher, did you ever dare to dream of things like that? Yeah, I don't know. You know the way you mention it, I mean, I, I of course never did. And um, it is, it's incredible. And, you know, I didn't um, sort of solicit solicit for this. You know, they, the fans just did it off their own backs and they're so thoughtful. Yeah. And they really, 
they always jump on boards, you know, whatever charity or cause that we want to promote. But this was, you know, primarily their idea. And um, I know that the theater were really happy to, to receive that funding yeah. as well. And yeah, I've got, I've got a seat with my name on it. So hopefully I don't have to pay for a ticket next time. I know, let's hope it's not on the cheap seat, Sam. <laughs> I'll tell you what though, for 57k, I am buzzing to see the seat. I fully expect it to come with, I don't know, a gold-plated velvet cushion, some disco lights. Oh, I think some sort of vibrating, you know, massaging chair. Yes. Um, You know, maybe a wee place to put a drink, you know, you put your feet up. Um, A whistle. Yeah, I think uh, (laughs) it's a whistle. A running commentary (laughs) delivered by Jimmy Chisholm in your ear. I would love oh, it. Oh, such isn't. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? Obviously, you have global fame now, but is it still on your radar to go back and do theatre? And if it is, what is there a role that you were desperate to play? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess I did a lot of theatre when I left sure. um, drama school. And, um, and then obviously, since I've been doing Outlander, it's almost well, eight years now that I've been doing uh, film and TV. So, um, yeah, I'd love to go back. And I have been talking to some various, uh, before pandemic, I was talking to some various people, yeah. but it's, it's about scheduling and that's kind of tough right now with, with the film schedule I've got. But um, in the future, for sure, I would love to. And um, for me, it's okay. always been about Shakespeare. And I just, I would love, to, obviously, the, you know, the stereotypical ones, you know, Hamlet or Romeo Juliet or, or Macbeth, which is one of the first plays I was in yeah. when I was at the youth theatre. I was a sort of extra I remember um, with yeah. Tom McGovern and uh and, and Jimmy Chisholm and yeah. uh, some other uh, regulars there and it was just an amazing experience and I'd love to do that but also one of the first plays I ever saw at the Lyceum when I was a teenager was um uh, a sort of stage version of Merlin and oh Arthur yes and legend and I and I, I I can't remember who was by but I would love to do that I've always been obsessed by that story and I remember it was so powerful mm. um, so yeah I would love to have to go back and do some more theatre. Well, David Gregg, you heard it here first. Yes, Mr. Gregg. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you are coming across clearly as a very humble uh, person and thankful for the opportunities and support that have come your way. But I also imagine with that level of fame comes intrusion and an assumed level of public ownership. And while social media can be beneficial um, to us in this industry to promote our work, to connect with fans... I also know that you've been subjected to some horrible um, oh, trolling, let's say, um, and, and no one can be unaffected by that, I don't think. How have you found a way to switch off from that or can you switch off from that? Um, yeah, I think yeah. Well, social media is, a, I guess, one side of, I guess, the the industry now that you know we never really had when we first started. And um, yeah. I think we're always kind of finding our way in it and... Even the sort of small amount, I guess, of celebrity, if you want to call it, that I that I've had, you know, just people recognizing you occasionally, sure. um, it's something you have to learn to sort of to deal with and to in your own way. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it is you know a, a blessing and a curse. Social media has given me you know access to be able to to reach out to fans and to to sort of galvanize them to help support. Um, whatever cause we're trying to do but yeah. but I guess you know everyone receives that kind of um there's also always negativity out there at some point so you just have to have a thick skin and I think being an actor you've always got to have a thick skin haven't you you know you're going to receive so much um you know so much disappointment and, and rejection um so yeah we deal with it in our own ways but uh it, primarily it's been you know it's been a blessing I think and yes uh, 
been a great part of a great learning curve as well. Can you go out for a pint of milk anymore though? Can you still do that? <laughs> of course. Yeah. I wish <laughs> I wish I was you know, inundated. No, I mean I think it's something interesting about S- Scottish people though. We are quite down to earth, I think. And I you know, people you know, people do recognize you or you know, I've seen famous people in Scotland, you know, much more famous and they I think we just kind of like just go, oh look, that's that's what's his name, you know, oh, he's on the telly or whatever. And then we, we move on, you know, we're we're quite grounded in that way. Um that's what I like about Scottish people, I think. Uh yeah, quite genuine. Salt of the earth, as they say. That's it. That's it. So I imagine um having not done a filming schedule like yourselves, but done little bits of filming, um I know have had a little taste of how grueling a filming schedule can be, but nothing like Outlander, I imagine. Um, what does a typical day for Sam Hewn like, look like on Outlander? When does it start? Um, do you, well, it's interesting, yeah, because it, it is, uh, interestingly, the most difficult job I've done. I've done a lucky to do a couple of movies in the last few years, and I just did one over Christmas. And um, to be honest, compared to Outlander, they're, they're like a holiday. Um <laughs> Outland is it's brutal. And I think the reason it is so big is because it's such a big show and it's and we're, you know, normally filming on location up in Scotland and there's so many moving parts, you know, there's so much hair and makeup, you know, so you're in, you know, for how many hours of, of before production and then, you know, we have long days. So um I mean tomorrow I start, I think I'm getting picked up at five and I think I'll probably be home by about eight PM. So um mm. it's it's kind of grueling. I mean, it's not you know, we're not we're not saving lives and we're not digging holes and we're not you know working in a hospital, but but um, but they are long days and it is, you know, uh, kind of kind of relentless. Um, so, yeah, you need to have a lot of energy, I think, and uh, and find levity and lightness as well when you can. Absolutely. And how long are the blocks you film in? We do 12. I'm going to get this wrong now. 12 episodes. Um, okay. We've done 16 uh, the first season. It normally takes around 10 months a year. Um, and we do, uh, I think it's around 26 days or 25 days, something like that for two episodes. Okay. Uh, so it's it's not fast. It's I mean, it's fast-ish, but it's not as fast as some other shows. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's the, cause, because of the show is it's quite, uh, quite epic, quite filmic. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a high production value. So yeah, it, they do take their time on, on big set pieces. And what is the best part about playing Jamie Fraser and what is the worst part? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, the best, the, the best part is honestly, it's, it's like the show always changes. You know, it's not like doing a, I don't know, like a cop show where you're, you know, in the same set every day. Uh, you know, Outlander is gone. We've been, we started in Scotland, in, you know, the Highlands and we're, you know, clans and Culloden. But then we went to France, we're in Versailles and then we're in the Caribbean. And now we're shooting for America. Um, and it's it's incredible. So it's, it's all like every episode is different. Every season feels different. Um, and the characters as well, the character ages, he's aged from 23 to now 50. So, uh, you know, you within that. you feeling offended by that? A, <laughs> I know. I'm like, what? I'm playing a granddad. What's going on? Um, uh, <laughs> it's all over. But uh, yeah, it's it's been challenging, and I think that's the joy of it. You know, that it's always different. And I think the worst part is, oh, God, that's a tough one. I think it's probably just, because, well, I, 
is the makeup and hair. You know, it's just like, and I have the most amazing hair and makeup person. I couldn't do my yeah. job without her. Wendy, she's the number one. She's just so fun and, and brilliant. But, oh. you know, it sort of gets sprackled. Your face gets covered in makeup every day and mud and blood. Yeah. And you, you, even despite washing copious times, you go to bed in the morning, you wake up, you still, there's fake mud and blood on your sheets you're like what happened last night it's like the christmas shows when six months later you've still got sparkle yeah. everywhere <laughs> <laughs> the sparkle glitter everywhere yeah exactly were you working in a pub uh when you got the call to say you had the part is that right uh kind of yeah i'd um i'd been in america i was uh i'd been doing a show um touring the world called uh, batman it was like a live arena tour kind of like a Cirque du Soleil show um, yeah. and then I stayed in Los Angeles I'd been there for a number of months for pilot season which was a period of time where a lot of networks and um, make pilot TV shows it's kind of not like that anymore things have changed a little bit but but I was there and I'd come back and I hadn't managed to land a role and I was I was pretty down about it because I'd sort of you know, spent all my money and was back to square one again you know working in a bar and mm-hmm. um yeah, and then sort of, I was actually in Waitrose, I think. Uh, sounds very, Ooh, very, very, posh. very posh. But I don't think I could afford being in Waitrose. I think I was just looking. <laughs> but, um, window but, shopping. Uh, window shopping. <laughs> but uh, I do remember that day and my agent called me and told me and I was, just, oh, it was fantastic. Um, Who's your favourite person on the Outlander set? Oh, well, I've probably said it already. Wendy, I think is, there's, I mean, all, you know, my co-star Katrina as well. It's, it's a, it is hard to choose between the two because we and Katrina are so close. We've worked together from the beginning um, and been through this journey together. But Wendy's kind of like my, I don't know, my my sister, my agony aunt, my my shoulder to lean on, to cry on. She sort of keeps me going. I keep her going. And uh, yeah, I just couldn't do it without her. She's, she's oh, they're fairy godmothers, these makeup ladies as well. I love it. You can go in at 5 a.m. and feel like rubbish and they just make you look, yeah. you know. It just, it's great. It's incredible, isn't it? They're, they're magicians. Yeah. Absolutely. So you very clearly have a very dedicated fan base. I'm just going to say it. So on the down low, I told a few friends that I was interviewing you and it was wild. I was having ludicrous things requested of me. People were asking me to ask you out on their behalf. I was dared to oh. ask you to marry me. It was crazy. Okay. But my point to all of this wow. is, um, and I hope it's okay to say this, but you are the image of the romantic lead. And obviously the way we look is part of the equation when we're being considered for castings. Have you um, any concerns ever over typecasting or do you have any desires to play a completely um, different type of role? So maybe, I don't know, shove on some glasses, a crazy wig and play the geeky pal or something. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm still waiting for the marriage proposal, but um, yeah, I... Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm taking a beamer now. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, no, definitely. I, I want to do something else. I want to, you know, Jamie Fraser is obviously brilliant and, and I have been doing a number of film roles to sort of try and play other parts, but they, they have all been primarily in the same sort of realm. But when I, I think even yeah. the first season of Outlander, I went uh, in the break, I went off and played this did this independent movie all about this sort of writer and I just grew out my hair and my beard and tried to look scrawny and scruffy as possible. But I would love to to have a cha- a real, you know, a real acting challenge, you know, because um, I think that's where you, you get to really stretch yourself. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see what comes along. 
the roles I love playing most sometimes are the ones where you just got you just don't feel it yourself at all. Um, so yeah. I was I've been chatting to other guests about the fact that often when we go into this business, there is an expectation that we keep changing roles just due to the nature of it. Um, you, however have been on Outlander for some time, which is amazing and offers you job stability. But is it ever difficult to keep your interest in playing the same character? How do you keep it fresh? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think um, it, it is, it probably would be hard. As I said before, I think Outlander has been so unique in that it, it's, it's you know, I've had so much to play. I mean, my character has gone mm. through, you know, he, he was a sort of young warrior, Start, becomes a laird, becomes a father, he becomes a husband, uh, a grandfather now. We've been in battles. <laughs> he's been he's been abused. He's been um, he's been to the Caribbean. You know, there's just so much to do on the show. So um, so it, it isn't hard. However, having said that, yes, of course. I mean, it, we all get burnt out. And we all you know want to do other things. But I think that's where it's been so great. You know, I've managed in my time off to fit in other projects and. Um, been able to do completely different things, you know, from sort of action movies to to character roles to to whatever. So and, and also, I guess the other creative side is um, that's kind of my outlet as well. You know, I've been producing my own stuff, whether it's writing or my my whiskey business or whatever. So yeah, that's I guess how I keep myself kind of fresh. I guess you've obviously achieved a huge amount. Um, do you have any? thing to tick off your bucket list not work related but what are sam's wishes for the future yeah um i've always had this wish um or dream or kind of fascination with everest and not to climb it um because i think that's a uh, bit of a pipe dream and also i wouldn't want to do that but i would love to see it sounds fab so at the moment in Scotland, we are in a time of great political discussion about our future, our identity as a country. I consider myself a citizen of the world, but I am incredibly proud to be Scottish. And like you, I believe, I firmly believe in Scottish independence. But um, as I said in another podcast, actually, when growing up, I kind of shirked away a bit from my Scottishness. I found it a wee bit twee, a bit shortbread-like. And it wasn't until I found plays in Scots that something kind of really shifted in me. You seem to embrace all the wonderful things about being Scottish and our culture, whether it's whiskey or tartan or programmes about Scotland. Did you always have a really strong sense um, of your Scottishness or did that come to you later? Yeah, so that's another really good question. You're good at this. Um, well, thanks very much. You're really, Sam. yeah. You're you really might good. get me no, a job. I'll get you a job. <laughs> get me one. Um, yeah, no, I, th I think I'm the same as you. You know, I think growing up when we did, and you know, I'm definitely much older than you, but still, you know, we had that. The, Scotland has a brand of itself, and it was yeah. still kind of stuck in that shortbread tin um, kind of world, and it did feel kind of twee and. And certainly going to London and America, you know, I never felt Scottish till I went to other places. And then people start seeing you Scottish. But I try to, I guess what all actors try to do, we try and immerse ourselves in another culture, try and fit in, right? Sure. Maybe. Yes. Um, and that's what I tried to do. But then coming back on Outlander, I just realized, you know, what an incredible country it is and how much I love it. And and as you say, you know, learning more about you know, the language or, or the mm -hmm. culture, the history, it's fascinating. And that's why I, you know, 
wanted to create my own TV show about it and, and, and book about it because there's just so much to explore. It's just on our doorstep. And I think it's a great wee country um, and, really? and, and so interesting and not black and white. You know, people think it's one or the other or it's, you know, it's saying, and, and also, I guess, just a small point about independence and stuff, you know, it's not anti-British at all. I'm very proud to be British, but I think I'm also extremely proud to be Scottish. And I think it's such a great wee country and has a great opportunity to, to continue to work. Um, would love to see it work and to remain in Europe. You know, I think uh, it, it's how yes. we're going to survive this. This world is going to survive if we work together. And I think um, I'd love to see that. So independence might might possibly be the answer. I don't know. Absolutely. I, I mean, I fully agree. Yeah, my uh, desire for independence is not anti-anything. It's just I feel like we are a resource-rich country and um, I think... It's just about having a bit of belief in ourselves again, actually. And I want a neighbour, not a ruler, let's say. So I'm going to move on to our creative challenge. So we set all our guests a little challenge with a difference. For you, we thought we would tie it in um, with the fact that you have a book out, Clanlands, and you have a, 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 a TV programme, Men in Kilts, with fellow actor Gray McTavish. So let's call our creative challenge, Sell Us That Tune. In a few interesting sentences, if you will, no pressure, please tell us oh. why they should visit these places, which I believe you have travelled to. Number one. Let's hope I remember where they are. Okay, <laughs> go on then. Number one, Codder. Codder, Codder. Wow. Okay, Codder is, is probably one of my favourite places that we visited whilst um, working on the book and on, on the TV show. It's this castle which it sort of its roots and history comes from something almost like out of game of thrones it was built around this this single i think it's a holly tree uh, on a rock that's still there and the castle was built around this this tree that's still living um lady cordor now runs the castle uh and it's just it's got a lot of history obviously through you know the the scottish play um mm -hmm. and uh, those those sort of um i guess false but um stories about you know Macbeth etc etc but the actual the actual place itself is, is remarkable they've got this amazing labyrinth that she's recreated the one from Greece you know with a minotaur um they've recreated that in in wow. um in Cordor. it also has I think some of the oldest trees in possibly Europe I think they're they're ancient and very big um and I just one little thing that she, I really love is that I saw on top of the, the castle is this this strange flag and I was asking Lady Cordor about it um and it's actually an ancient Tibetan prayer flag, and she thinks that's a very, a very magical place. She's kind of a bit like Lady Macbeth herself, kind of a little bit of a witchy vibe about her, but totally enchanting. Um, mm. And she, the prayer flag apparently is to send out positive energy into the world. And um, I just thought she's kind of captivating. And actually, going back to Shakespeare, also she's also got, I believe, a first folio or second folio of Shakespeare's works, which is priceless no i think way. and she let us see it so um yeah fascinating woman and an, an amazing castle and actually a pretty decent whiskey as well they have there this sounds like my ideal place witchiness whiskey castles what more do bit we witchy want? bit whiskey yeah witchy whiskey that's what you that's need. the tagline yeah. number two fife the kingdom the kingdom of fife is something about fife it always seems to be sunny it definitely gets more sun than the rest of Scotland. I'm fascinated by it because 
uh, if you look at a lot of the place names in Fife, they're really strange and they're not like that Scottish. They're kind of different. And I think it's a lot to do with the um, the maritime influence, uh, the Viking influence, the Norse that came across um, to Scotland. And um, it has great history. And actually, there's um, the monastery there in Aberdour. Um, you know, you've got the, this pilgrim's walk that goes all the way down, I think, to Holy Island, way down um uh, down on the east coast, so it's 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 quite it was quite a holy place, and I think also, um, am I right in thinking? I might be talking absolute nonsense here, but I feel like also the first reference to, again to whiskey being manufactured uh, is in some um, monk's book way way back, and uh, it's from that area as well. But yeah, it's it's an incredible place, mm-hmm. and always looking across from Edinburgh to the Kingdom of Fife on a clear day, you can see the coast there and you can see Acosta Fife and it's uh, it's a place that I really enjoy working. We've shot there a lot for Amanda. Lovely. Thank you very much. And your third and final one, Loch Awe. Oh, Loch Awe is indeed uh, a place that gives you great awe when you see it. It's uh, it's quite a dark loch and it has some, some, some strange dark history. It's quite dangerous, I believe, in some places. I know people have perished there. Um, but it has an incredible castle there, a Kilchurn castle, I think is on Loch Awe, and it's um, very pho- photogenic, photographic uh, castle. Um, but it, for me, it's a whole special place because when we were shooting uh, Men in Kilts, the TV show, I, I had an evening um, where I went out, took my kayak out, and the sun was setting, and it was just, you know, can you can imagine a beautiful Scottish um, sunset, you know, red skies, and I was kayaking on my own across the loch, and it's just, uh, it's beautiful. And, um, yeah, I would recommend if, if anyone gets a chance to drive up that way because it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. A, it's, a it's beautiful. If it all goes tits up, you could work for the Scottish Tourist Board and you would make millions. <laughs> <laughs> That's next. That's next on the list of things to do. The Cultural Coven is delighted to have musical support from singer-songwriter, musician, member of the Red Hot Chili Pipers and very importantly... A Pfeiffer, Cameron Barnes. This song, Coming Home, and the rest of Cameron's music is available on all the main streaming platforms. So go on, download it and have a wee dance about your kitchen. Thanks, Cameron, for letting us use this tune. So there was a theme of whiskey there, so let's talk about Sassanac. Mm. Now, I love a whiskey. I am... I only actually came to whiskey really probably about seven years ago. I was doing a show at the Lyceum, actually. I was doing Dark Road, which was Ian Rankin's play, and he is sponsored by Mm. Highland Park. And we had a riot of a press night because there was three floors of whiskey. And ever since then, I mean, I particularly love a peaty whiskey. But please tell me about Sassanac. The bottle itself just looks delicious. How did this all come about? Yeah, I I too, I guess, I, I... started drinking whiskey when I was in London, when I moved to London. And it, and it was, I remember it was uh, one Christmas, I was kind of feeling quite homesick. And a, a Scottish friend of mine, we met up for some drinks in London and we ordered a single malt whiskey. And I didn't really drink whiskey then. And I just remember having such a, an emotional reaction response to it, like smelling it and tasting it. And it just was like, oh my God, Scotland's brilliant. And I love this stuff. And it, yeah. it just took me home. And I think that's the idea behind the Sassanac is that yeah, wherever you are, you know, you can drink the Sassanac and it's the, the spirit of home. It should take you back to Scotland. But um, I wanted to create something that um, that 
everyone can enjoy it if you're if you've never tried whiskey but also that you know the 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 whiskey fans or whiskey aficionados will enjoy as well and it it, it took a long time um, it's all self-financed um but it's done really well we've won uh, a bunch of gold medal awards for the the whiskey and also for the design of it and um uh yeah i love it it's, it's a blend which i think is kind of rare you know i think blends have a yeah. bit there's a bit of snobbery about it but you know you look at the japanese whiskies and how well they're doing and um, i just wanted to create you know a scottish version of that something that's you know that's really good really balanced mm. but also very moorish and i think we've done that um and it's 46 percent, which is something i really um we pushed for it's it's slightly stronger but yeah i wanted that kind of mouthfeel this so it's kind of heavy on your tongue where did you distill it about then yeah it's a number of distilleries we have a, a single grain in there we have um i think a 12 year old malt in there and a, a 15 year old and maybe even a 10 i think so it is it's from all over and um hopefully yeah hopefully it's got the right balance but um, i'm really proud of it fabulous so um, let's talk about Clanlands. So Clanlands is a book that focuses on uh, road trips throughout Scotland. It's a history and a culture of the country. And I believe you can actually recreate the journeys if you want as well, which sounds brilliant, a genius idea. And now also you have the TV programme Men in Kilts, which recently launched. That sounds like the ideal job to me, doing a road trip around Scotland. Was it an absolute hoot to do? And, and what was your favourite place? It's, it was an absolute hoot. It was ridiculous, really. But uh, it, was, it was actually two years ago now, forgetting how time has flown during COVID. But I, um, I was working on Outlander and I wanted to create my own TV show. And uh, so over a, a bunch of weekends, I, I just got a crew together and we went off and we shot a bunch of material to, to then pitch for a TV show. And, and that's, that's the result of it is, is Men in Kilts. But um, it was so fun. You know, we, we had... You know, I have so many great locations and people I've met whilst being in Scotland and shooting on Outlander. So I really just wanted to, I guess, dig a little into who they are or to just share them with the rest of the world. And um, yeah, I got I got my good friend Graham McTavish along. Uh, we got a camper van and driving around Scotland doing doing kind of crazy and stupid stuff. And um, and the TV show was born. And it's it's funny. You know, the TV show is um, each episode is has a different theme. So there's food and drink, song and dance. Um, tartans and clans um, and yeah this is like a little I guess a taster of, of Scotland um, whilst being slightly inebriated with my good friend. It just looks so so much fun um, as soon as lockdown eases I am going to go on a camper van and I'm going to go to the Isle of Skye I only went there recently I'm mm. to see, and it's just mm. so beautiful it looks like it's been painted by Disney it feels otherworldly. I- it, it's incredible and you know Kerrang and the old man's store and all that but I have to say it's 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 just two things for Sky is that it's it's slightly overdone now with the tourism. Tourism is so busy, and I would say go if you can. It's brilliant, but it, you'll find it's very hard uh, during tourist season to get there. And also the midges in Sky are the worst. Yeah. Britain's Scotland's best kept secret. No one tells you about the midges. But it, my my tip would be go go to the other islands. Go to like Mull, which is just as beautiful, less busy, and and just remarkable. Or Iona or you know any other small islands they're just each one has its own character and yeah i mean i've, I've been to orkney and isle of sky is my, my favorite but i do want to go to mull and mm. i want to see, i just want to see more mm. of scotland and i think lockdown has mm. really brought that home to me that i need to see more of this beautiful country that we live in so i believe you're mm. getting a customized harley davidson is this correct because oh. that sounds epic yeah it is yeah actually i mean 
we're working on the custom now. I mean, I, I was actually out on it the other day because you know things eased a little bit, so we're allowed to go for a little drive. So I went around around a bit, which was so great. But yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I never thought I would be a a a motorbiker and be a Harley owner, but um, but I really enjoy it, and it's there's something about it. Again, it's a great way to see see Scotland and, and sort of a bit of freedom, but it's a great way to switch off as well. And then my my dream is to do um, in America Route, Route sixty six. I would oh, love wow. to do that. Incredible. Are you a bit of a um, adrenaline junkie, Sam? I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm. I'm I do love doing stuff, and that's in Men and Kills. I do a lot of things like that, and we try to get Graham, Graham to do, you know, jumping off a cliff or skydive <laughs> or whatever. But he's he was never that keen. But I think that's the fun of it was kind of winding him up. But I do enjoy it. But I do get scared as well. You know, I, I I'm, I'm certainly not um, my mortality. I'm very aware of. But um, yeah, I do. I do enjoy doing stuff like that. Great. Well, talking of adrenaline, as we know, one of the biggest differences between theatre and TV is that theatre is live and um, TV can be retaken. Theatre being live often can lead to a few ridiculous moments for actors, myself included. Did anything particularly ridiculous ever happen to you on stage? Is there any moments you can tell us about? Please do spill. Oh, I mean, countless countless and i could probably can't remember them all but um i mean you know backstage is always kind of fun isn't it you know because you sort of mess yeah. around especially on matinee days i mean you're obviously taking performance seriously but it's also a way to sort of keep yourselves um going and excited and um but i remember once i was doing touring play um outlying islands it was a touring version we went up to the highlands and islands david gregg it was dave with old david gregg and um yeah and uh, we were, I, I think, possibly Balahulish. And uh, the, the set had a, a bit, little bit of a, a, like a crack in it. And we were about to go on stage. And my, my co-star, he was sort of jumping up and down on it in a sort of rather childish way to try and make it worse. And as we walked on stage, I just went right through it and ended up sort of <laughs> up to my neck, like through the stage with just my head poking, poking out. And he just burst out laughing and couldn't stop. And we carried on as if nothing had happened, True. despite me falling down this enormous hole. <laughs> True for it, so I shouldn't laugh. But, you know, you're here to tell the tale. Um, I had a couple of moments recently. Um, oh, a shocker. I was in Edinburgh Christmas Carol at the Lyceum and I had a very quick change, went on stage as an old lady um, to a full house and my costume flew open god bless the show vest and i ended up in the herald for flashing inadvertently flashing oh, the audience well done. <laughs> it was That's what house of children it was great <laughs> i did i remember i seen one of my first things i did at drama school was romeo and juliet and um it was like a matinee day or something and i uh the bit where romeo is with um with the 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 priest or whoever is, and he uh, he sort of threatens to kill himself, and he has a knife, and he's like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill myself um, if I can't be with her. And at, on stage at that point, I'd forgotten to bring the knife on onto stage. I was oh, like, no. how am I gonna try and pretend to kill myself? So I pretended to try and throttle myself, um, which is is just really dumb. Really. <laughs> the things we do, though, like. When you look back with hindsight, you go, well, why did I do that? There must have been a better way to do that. But you just have to go with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, that moment for me was a, a corker. And I do remember that the title in the paper was Bra Humbug. And 
Oh, it was just wonderful. <laughs> it was just that's a good crack it. Yeah, one. great. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So um we know that the sort of we joke about Edinburgh is often the first question is what school did you go to? Because Edinburgh is a village in that sense and everyone knows someone that went to the school that they did. I believe mm-hmm. you went to Rudolf Steiner's. It's slightly different from the traditional system and that it's based in developing your creative and your moral and spiritual side as well as your intellectual side how was school for you did you have a did you enjoy school yeah I I'm, so I moved to Edinburgh when I was a teenager and I actually went to uh, Gillespie's for uh, a year right and uh, did my final year uh, before secondary school and then we're very lucky to get an assisted place at the time um to go to a Stein school because it's obviously a private school um but it is as you say it is kind of alternate kind of education in a way that they 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 lean less on the academic side and more on the I guess creative side maybe um, it's quite possibly why I became an actor I don't know but um, but I really loved it you know we did you know obviously you do all your exam degrees whatever but also you know you study a bit of everything so you do astronomy you do history you do uh, you know whatever it is um, so it, it gives you a kind of I guess a broader spectrum or broader knowledge. Um, maybe it's not as in-depth, but certainly a, a wider range of things. So I, I loved it. It's a, it was a very safe environment and uh, I've got some great friends from there. And interestingly, they seem to be Steiner, Steiner pupils seem to pop up everywhere. Tobias Menzies, who was in Outlander and done, done great things in The Crown as well. He went to Steiner School um, uh, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of other people I work with, they send their kids to Steiner Schools as well. So um, it's interesting that seem to create I guess creative people yeah absolutely I believe that um uh, that you start school a year later um I think in primary school I don't think you start until you're six years old but I the rumor that I used to always hear because you always hear rumors about school was that you you had to lose your your milk teeth before you could start school I was like I don't think that can be true can it (laughs) (laughs) I mean it was it, it totally all these uh you know these these I mean we were um, I think we were called the Sweaties by by um, Watsons. They were right next door. Right. You know, they used to sort of shout abuse at us because we didn't have to wear uniforms. But you weren't allowed to wear a uniform with a logo on it, a clothing with a logo on it, which I think, thinking about it now, is great because it, it sort of removes any kind of um, stigma or any kind of peer pressure on children. Um, but yeah, I mean, it did have some interesting, some interesting, I guess, rules or, or ways of doing things. That's um, interesting that you talk about Watsons because they were. I went to Firhill High School, so they were also our kind of neighbouring school. Um, they mm. probably just called us the scumbags because we were just your state school. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's below Watsons. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> um, so I was back in the recording studio the other week doing some ADR, which was very well managed. Um, but we they actually had us speaking through masks, which was an interesting experience. But I understand. What? Yes, but I understand why we had to do it just for uh, for safety and I you know you've been filming a lot and I imagine there's been lots of different protocols put in place but I'm just going to cut to the jugular here you normally do a lot of intimate scenes during a pandemic have you had to completely change what you're doing or how do you get around that yeah they uh I mean they we obviously shut down as well when everyone else did but they quite quickly came up with this you know new way of working and it, it is Initially, it was pretty intense way to sort of get used to, you know, obviously, so every day we get tested and we have actually a testing center at, at the studio. So everyone gets tested daily. Um, and then we have sort of bubbles, certain people are allowed on set, some people aren't or, you know, 
within proximi proximity to, to people. Um, we have to wear masks at all times unless you're doing a take. Um, and uh, it's it, it was tough, you know, but at least it's keeping everyone safe. And we've been really lucky. Touchwood, I think everyone's been pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it feels like we're hopefully getting out of this this hole we've been in for a while now. Uh, so uh, let's not pretend sometimes uh, sex scenes can sometimes, when they're being filmed or on stage, you can sometimes feel you're less, you're least, sorry, sexual. Um, do you have any little things you have to do to fake that? I believe water and Vaseline sometimes might feature. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe. God, that sounds... <laughs> That sounds rather dodgy. Like so uh, yes, I don't mean it to. sounds really dodgy. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I mean that's for sweat. So uh, yeah. yeah, they do spray us with water occasionally or whatever. But yeah, I mean, God, I, I hate to sound like a, an old. I mean, we've done so much of these kind of scenes now that um, I mean, they never get. They get. I don't know. Do they get easier? A little bit because I'm working with the same people, so you get to trust each other and you get a way of working like a shorthand. But um, it, it, it's never easy, is it? And. Uh, it is, as you say, it's the least sexy thing you can do. I mean, it's really not. You know, when you've done it, you know, recreated the scene like 20 times during the day and you've got a bunch of sparks and gaffers and people just walking around and, you know, they don't care. And it's just, you just realize it's ultimately in the end, it, it is um, it, it is all kind of fake, right? You're, yeah. just, you're just recreating it. But hopefully you can still keep that spark and people believe what they're watching is... is um, is really intimate. Do you have intimacy coordinators on Outlander? Yeah, I um, actually met our intimacy coordinator at the Royal Conservatoire um, last year, the year before last. And, and it was kind of a new thing, uh, intimacy coordinators. Um, it's kind of new to the industry. Um, and I met her and we were talking about it and I suggested her to production um, and she's come on board and she's been brilliant. And it's just, it's a, I guess, I wish we'd had someone like that before. It's just someone who's there to kind of protect everyone, you know, in, including the actors, but also production, you know, to make sure no one's, um, there's no gray areas. Everyone's very clear about what's going on. Um, and, and with that, at first I was nervous that it might make things too structured. Yeah. Um, but actually what it does is it gives you great freedom because you suddenly, it takes away any pressure and any fears that you may or may not know you have, but you have, um, and actually, what you find is actually that those scenes become less stressful and, and you can just get on and do your job. And I think uh, it's been brilliant. I think that sounds, yeah, I think it's a wonderful thing. Now, I believe you're quite close to your family. Was there anyone theatrical in your family or are you the first generation? Uh, no, I think, I think I'm the first generation. I mean, my, I guess I'd say my family are quite creative. My mom is an artist. Um, so I guess that is, you know, in the same world but yeah the first first to do this i believe you grew up in the grounds of a derelict castle that sounds very romantic was it doesn't it yeah it sounds idyllic right Absolutely. it sounds like it's not real yeah no we did we did in down in dumfriesen gallery Kemure castle um and it was this old derelict castle and i guess in a way maybe that's where some of my my joy of play has come from i think maybe or imagination i you could look into it but um i guess yeah i've always been fascinated by um castles and, and soldiers and warriors etc etc so maybe that's where it was all born you seem very uh, calm 
to me and very humble. Do you ever lose your temper? What would make Sam angry? I, I guess I am quite, I guess quite calm or I hide it well, I think. But um, yeah, God, what makes me angry? I don't know. I think injustice or yes. um, maybe, I don't know. I, I've, I've no idea until I get angry, but I guess, yeah, I think it's, I don't, I don't tend to fly off, fly off the handle at all. I'm, I'm quite, quite measured. Just when I close the door. And behind closed <laughs> doors, I'm ra- raging, raging at everybody. You're going to go off this call and trash that room, aren't yeah. you? That Nicola, what the hell was she <laughs> asking? I wouldn't blame you. Did you read any of the Outlander books before you filmed? Did, were you aware of Outlander? I mean, before I, I got the job, I know I'd, I hadn't heard of it. I um, When I was auditioning for it, I found out it was a book. And I did, I went, got got the first book and read as much as I could before the first audition. But yeah, in filming it, um, each each season is generally, up until the last season, um, we've we've matched each season to each book. Okay. Um, so I have read the books, but um, now we're doing a bit more of taking bits from other books. So um, it's a lot more play, but... Yes, I think they're a great source. And Diana Gabaldon, who wrote the books, you know, much to thank her for creating this world that she's she's made in this story. And she's been a great ally and supporter and very lucky. You know, she's been um, a friend and we, we message quite a lot. Oh, that's lovely. And do you have a lot of say over your character? This year and last uh, season, we were, um, we were producers, myself and my co-star in the show. Um so we we i guess also just playing those characters right you're 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 the the sort of continuity of the show you know you're the one that's there every day playing this character and, and a lot of the creative creative people come and go from the writers directors so we're the ones that are always there so we obviously would would know the show and know the character the most however i'd never say i know this is what the character would say or do but i do sometimes go you know feel like oh actually he wouldn't say this or is there another way of saying that? Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's great to be able to know a character that well, you know, to sort of, in a way, sometimes not even have to do too much work, to just because just, he's there. I've played him for eight years. You know, I can just get 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 in there and just go for it and just allow my, my sort of instincts to take over. And I think um, maybe that's when I do my best work is when you're being instinctual. So Yeah. Talk to me about um, the Scots because... I've auditioned for Outlander a couple of times and I'm aware that it's it's not quite old Scots. It feels like a sort of hybrid. Is it is that for the American audience then so they can understand the Scots? Yes, it it's difficult. There's there's definitely, you know, Scots that we use in it, Scots words, Scots phrases. Yes. Um you know, some of it's taken from the books, um, some of the dialogue. So we like to stick close to that. However, you know, we do have some great writers, but they are Americans. And sometimes they try to to write in Scots or to give us suggestions. And they're not always totally accurate. Um, but then again, you know, in a weird way, you know, what we've created is our own world, right? It is our own sort yeah. of portrayal yeah. of Scotland at that time. I mean, these... These characters, and it works. It well, works. these characters wouldn't be speaking English to start with. So, I mean, that's yes. part of it. And and traveling through time, etc. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we tr- tried to make it as authentic as possible, but accessible, you know. And I think, um, you know, there are people around the world that don't understand the accent or find struggle with it. So we have to be careful that, that everyone can enjoy it. But I, I like that we still get to include 
certain historical um, accuracies in words, yeah. I actually, um, just before lockdown, I was doing Les Lockhead's Tartuffe, which is all in Scots. Mm. And um, we were over in Australia. It, wow. it was so much fun. We were over in Australia. We won this award at the festival and we transferred over there. And because it was in Scots, we had to have subtitles. But actually, interestingly, we would always, in the post-show discussion, uh, people said after five minutes they stopped what, reading the subtitles and just yeah. your ear sort of tunes yeah. into it, doesn't it? But it's interesting because actually when we first did Outlander and they was started, they after I think the first two episodes we were filming, and first of all they, there was a there was this sort of question whether we should subtitle it or even change the accents because they they thought oh it's too strong, and and of course we were all against that, and actually we did find exactly the same that the the, the producers etc. Um, they also, they said, you know, after actually, you know, a, a little while, suddenly their ear changes and they, they started understanding it. And I think that's all it is. It's just, a, we, but we do it with most movies or, or plays, you know, it takes a, a moment for you to, when you're watching something, just to kind of tune in yes. and, and get it. And I think once you do, you sort of, you're, you're in, you've accepted that world in that way of that manner of speaking. And I think, um, yeah, I'm glad we didn't subtitle it. And, uh, I love, I love the old Scots. I still remember Phaedra at the Lyceum, um, the wonderful Caroline Crawford, who works with us on yes, our show. Yeah. Um, she was in that, but I, it's a show, that's actually a play I'd love to do, play Hippolytus. I think it's a, it's a beautiful, um, is it Tom McGrath uh, wrote it? Yes. Um, well, they adapted it and um, brilliant, just great use of the old Scots language. I love it. I was saying I've, for some reason, ended up working a lot in Scots, something I probably didn't really imagine I would do at drama school. But it's such, mm. it's dense language and it requires skill. I do think it pushes you. It's like Shakespeare yeah. in that sense. Exactly, um, exactly. But yeah. there's a rhythm to it and it's lyrical on the ear. I, I absolutely mm. um, love mm. it. So I am now going to move <laughs> on to our quick fire questions. I always tell guests that these are the fundamentals on which I judge a person. So I am definitely judging you, Mr. Hewn. So I give you oh, two okay. options. Judge Three. away. <laughs> so, I give you, <laughs> so I'm going to give you two options and feel free just to fire straight back with your instinctive answer. Are you okay. ready? Ready. TV or theatre? Theatre. The Bard or Burns? Oh, that's a tough one. Ah, I'm going to have to say Burns. No, the Bard. Oh, damn it. I don't know. Gun to your head. Oh, ah, damn. God damn. I'm going to say it's got to be it's got to be Burns. Yes. Chippy sauce or no chippy sauce? Chippy sauce. Way. Sin or virtue? Sin. Only fools and horses or faulty towers? Faulty towers, definitely. The stalls or the royal box? Ah, that's a good question. Because I, I, I think it depends on the show, but I used to love the, the stalls, you know, but actually the box, when you get to look down on a show, I don't know, there's something about that being slightly detached from it. Um, I can't enjoy that. So I'm going to say the royal box. Quinoa or cake? Um, neither. What would, what would you go for? Quinoa cake. You know, but if you're going to quinoa, would you go for a quinoa cake? You might have just quinoa cake. You might have invented something else there. To be honest, I, if it was, I would just, I would pass it by. Okay, that's fine. We'll I think it. it's overrated. Quinoa is overrated. So cake, cake's your answer. Okay. Arthur Miller or Noel Coward? Ah, 
Oh, um, I'm going to say Arthur Miller because that's what I'd like. I'd like to do an Arthur Miller. Yeah, this is, this is very revealing. I love it. City or countryside? Mm. I'm going to have to say countryside. The slosh or the macarena? I don't know the slosh, so I'm going to have to say the macarena. Have you not seen ladies dancing no. around their handbags? My granny used to oh, ask me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a buffet or a la carte? Um, buffet. Camping or five star? I, I think it's going to have to be five star because what you do is you go camping and then after like a day of camping, you're like, God, I can't wait to go and stay in a five star. It's been great, but can we now go like. I've done my spell, I've done my time, five star. Yeah. Independence or no independence? Well, always independence, I guess. Fancy Nancy or dress down? Um, oh, uh, I'm going to say Fancy Nancy. Because we haven't done that for so long, have we? No, I know. I'm in my jammies. You just can't see it. A Me night too. in or a night out? Oh. I'm going to say a night out again, the same answer, because we haven't for so long. Come on, it's time. Exactly. Land or sea? Oh, sea. Beer or Bollinger? Um, oh, Bollinger. Come on, let's celebrate. Oh, I love a champagne. I love a pink champagne. Anyway, football mm. or rugby? Rugby. Fantastic. So that concludes the quick fire sections. That was easy. I win. <laughs> It's very revealing. Um, I have one other little question for you. What would your uh-huh. advice be to anyone who's about to go into the industry? Not don't do it. Anything else but that? Um, yes. Well, I think, you know, obviously it's a challenging job. And right now, of course, you're probably even more challenging. But um, I would say just, just I guess, follow your, your gut instinct and get as much experience as you can from watching stuff to reading to to i guess learning about the craft and then yeah have faith because it's you know it can take a long time it certainly took me you know many many years of failure uh you know many successes as well but to to get where i am because i wonder if you'd be a different person if you had had that massive success immediately Uh, most likely i mean i think you know i i I did i had i've had a really thank a wonderful career you know i've had done some great jobs and there's also been a lot of time I've not been working and, and had to sort of do other things or struggle to get to get by and I think that probably does ground you and you don't forget that um, that struggle and that that drive but it makes you more determined I think um, and so yeah I think all those experiences and I, God I don't know I think if I was you know just fresh out of drama school and, and got a TV show and I'd, yeah I'd be a mess I think um, so yeah, it's probably probably good that I'm slightly older and Maybe not much wiser, but something older and more experienced. Well, thank you so much for joining me in the Cultural Covenant. It has been very enlightening. And I hope to see you soon, maybe over a Sassanac. Oh, why not? There'll be more than one, I'm sure. In the Lyceum. Yay! Well, what a fun, revealing and fascinating chat with Mr Sam Hewan. He must be the busiest man in Scotland, right? Thank you for listening in. I hope you enjoyed your time in the coven with us. Why not join us again? Over to you, Sam. I hope I get this right. Don't mess up. If you listen to the future episodes, we have some great guests from Siobhan Redmond, 
to the amazing playwright Liz Lockhead and Saskia Ashton. <laughs>